Welcome to the Clinical Research Podcast, bringing you the latest developments in research explained by our world-leading clinicians, academics and scientists based in Nottingham. Ask most people who they are and they'll talk about their job, their likes and dislikes, their appearance. But there's another way of defining your identity by the groups of people you mix with. We're a social species and who we choose to be with affects how we see the world and ourselves. It can be a vital part of mental health. That's why occupational therapist and researcher Amelia Deakin chose to study how people with psychosis interact with groups as they recover for a study for her PhD called Unfold. And then lockdown happened and all of the normal social groups stopped. She told me how she solved the problem. When somebody thinks about identity, they think their individual identity, um, personality, their personality traits, um, that, that kind of thing. Um, that social identity is a bit different to how we are kind of, I guess, how we typically think about what identity is. In social identity theory, your identity is defined by the groups that you feel you belong to. So how the groups you use to describe and to define yourself. How might that affect your behaviour or how you live your life? Different situations make different groups more salient and more important to us at that time. So, for example, if somebody is in the workplace, their worker or their professional identity might be more salient for them and they might if they were asked at that very moment of being in their office for example how important their worker identity was they it's likely that they would perceive it as more important for me it just fitted really well with my experiences of working clinically like you like I could see real examples from where I'd been working of people that had for example in the beginning, I would imagine had that all-encompassing service user identity group, and then they kind of transitioned to having these other groups and um, other supports because they had because they had those other meaningful groups. And I think um, I think specifically social identity is quite important as opposed to kind of just social contact and you know anyone can turn up and go to a group but if somebody doesn't find it meaningful or isn't specifically connected or doesn't share kind of the sense of this is important to me or I share this with these other people then I think that's probably less helpful less likely to improve somebody's well-being and probably less less therapeutic. How do you think that moving on to a group that is as you say, very much focused on their identity as a service user in whatever way that might be, to then move into a situation where they're in a group where that isn't the most, the primary, how do you think that might affect their recovery? There are certain factors to do with the change or the transition that can help people to maintain a level of well-being. Um, so the, the idea is an, uh, that any life transition, even if it's a positive one, um, often leads to people to have reduced well-being but if it's certain factors for example um, maintaining social groups from onset of the transition to you know beyond transition helps people to maintain a, a level of well-being but also gaining new groups helps people to um, maintain or to gain higher levels of well-being so I think that 
and kind of the concept of well-being and the concept of recovery, I think, are, are really um, closely related. Um, so I think that hopefully by gaining new groups would help would hopefully support somebody's recovery i would imagine the audience for this is basically going to be fairly much sort of researchy people so we can get relatively geeky about so what's the methodology what are you doing so it's a mixed method study um so so can i just say this is unfold too so prior to uh prior to covid I was doing all this face-to-face -face, and I have since had to redesign it and now it's all online. So uh, it's, it's kind of in three stages. So um, it's recruiting people with experience of psychosis that don't have to be in services, don't have to have used services, don't have to have a particular diagnosis. Um, so it has it begins with some questionnaires about well-being and about people's recovery. Um, it's recruiting people that are fairly far along in their recovery. So there's some questionnaires and then um, it's a Teams meeting, which involves, it's like a mind map of their different social groups, how they link together, how similar, how different they are, um, how important they are. Um, and while they're creating the map, they answer some questions about each group. So how important is this? How, uh, how representative are you of a member of this group? So they do one of those for the present day, and then they do one for when they were early on in their recovery. Um, and then for um, approximately half the participants, I will do an interview, a semi-structured interview about the two maps, um, about how they fit, about what the differences are from their perspective, about how they feel, about the differences, um, about... Um, just about their, their perspectives about the changes from the early time point to the current time point. What's the kind of next step on from what you're studying then? What would be the next thing that either you look at or somebody else looks at? Hopefully this will lead on to looking more at the mechanisms of change and how they occur. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe looking at groups that people groups are very significant for people's identity versus groups that people just turn up to you know if you've ever been to any kind of group there's a huge spectrum of group members and i think you know for some people that have really internalized that as part of themselves or that it's really significant really important and they really kind of share that bond and that <clears throat> shared identity with other members i think that's very distinct from somebody that shows up and i think that there's probably it would probably be interesting to look at those the differences it's kind of a running thing with a lot of interviews that i do with a lot of people about how things have changed and also i know there's also a move towards thinking about how can people do research digitally online increasingly as well what were the challenges you faced and what did you have to do unfold one was running in the NHS in, in Nottinghamshire Healthcare Trust. And um, it was a longitudinal study. So people were enrolled in the study for nine months. Um, so the NHS at, um, at the beginning of the first lockdown closed the, studies, closed the studies that were running. Um, and then they, in, in my particular trust, didn't reopen until September. So that was six months of lost time. Um, 
and I did it, you know, by the time I would have been able to set it back up, etc. It wasn't, it wouldn't have fitted into a PhD timescale. And also it was a different, it was a different design of study. It was, it was, you know, it was longitudinal, but also some of the variables that we were looking at were social contact related. So it was just not feasible in the, in this climate. So um, one of the things that I well, the main thing I did when I came back from maternity leave was um, look at how it could all be online. Um, you know, even even with all the restrictions lifted, it was just I I, I had to plan for for the worst, so keep it all online. Um, I also also it was really important to me with this population. You know, thinking about people with um, <clears throat> additional health health problems I didn't you know I didn't want anyone coming out to to get on the bus to see me in in the pandemic for for data collection I just didn't it's just not worth it um so luck really luckily for me I had been um I had been doing the social identity mapping in the previous study but I've been doing it on paper with post-it notes but really luckily for me in um, just prior to the pandemic, um, the University of Queensland um, designed and released a software where that could be done online. Um, and I honestly, I think if I didn't have that, I don't know how how I would have captured this. And I guess the other thing was that what you mentioned about lockdown and people being isolated, and this all being about social identity, that must have, because that's like a fundamental conceptual thing, isn't it? That's, it's made me appreciate that people are sharing really difficult things. And, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that people want to do that, especially in these times, you know, when, when somebody says, oh, I have this family group that I haven't seen them for 18 months, you know, that that's really significant and really difficult for people to talk about, anybody to talk about. Um, and I think there isn't really any getting away from the fact that the restrictions and the, the unprecedented way we've been living will have some effect on the data. But, but um, I don't think you can, I don't think you can really pull that apart or distinguish how so I guess that will just that's just going to be, I guess not not a limitation, but a difference that we're you know the the world that people are living in, and the the social world that people are describing is very different to how it was eighteen months ago. That's brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Amelia. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Thank Cheers. Bye bye. As I speak in August 2021, Unfold is still recruiting, so if you'd like to know more about it, you can email Amelia at amelia.deakin, that's E-M-I-L-I-A dot Deakin, D-E-A-K-I-N, at nottingham.ac.uk. There's more information in the show notes too. There are links in the show notes for more information on clinical research in Nottingham and the website is nottinghambrc.nihr.ac.uk. Our email and social media links are there too. 
If you want to stay up to date with the Clinical Research Podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you normally get your podcasts. The more shows are rated and reviewed, the more search engines like them and the easier it is for people to find us. So if you can subscribe and rate and review us, you'll be doing it for science, not just for our egos.